Welcome to OBS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 56. This is the third in a series of Open vSwitch tech talks that we are starting to run internally at VMware every week or two. This episode is about flow translation, which is the process that OVS follows when a packet arrives in the software switch that does not match any already established entry in the OVS data path cache, that is, the Megaflow cache. On to the talk. The topic that we're going to talk about today is flow translation, and uh, that is probably kind of a confusing thing to say uh, if you haven't run into the uh, OVS code before because, I mean, what's, what's flow translation? Well, uh, it sort of comes down to the way that I tend to think of OVS as a, a kind of compiler. Uh, it takes in instructions from some controller uh, or from uh, other programs, and then it uh, compiles those instructions into uh, what, what to do with packets. And so flow translation at a high level uh, means the process of figuring out what to do with the packet uh, when, it, when it shows up. Uh, and uh, it actually is a little more than figuring out what to do with an individual packet because most of the time, and ideally uh, when you receive a single packet, you can figure out what to do with an entire class of packets that are similar uh, to the actual example packet uh, that, that you end up with. And so uh, in, in practice, uh, uh, flow translation uh, produces uh, not just instructions on what to do with a particular packet, uh, but also uh, what might be considered caching advice. In other words, uh, the, the, the class of packets that can also be treated the same way. Uh, so what the translation process does is it, it takes a, a packet and a set of open flow tables and configuration, and in addition to that caching advice, it produces a set of uh, ODP, uh, open data path, uh, actions uh, that uh, say say what to do with the packet. So uh, one obvious question there is, uh, what's the difference between an open flow action and an ODP action? Uh, well, the the answer is sort of twofold. First, the open data path actions, the ODP actions, tend to be slightly lower level, um, and second, uh, they're much flatter uh, in the sense that. Um, open flow actions uh, often say things uh, like uh, look at this additional open flow table um, or uh, uh, go, go find out about something and act on it, whereas the uh, ODP actions are, are much simpler. They, they tend to be just set this field um, or output to this port. Uh, there's a few exceptions, but they're, they're not nearly as structured and they don't generally require uh, the, the same level of recursion. So uh, flow translation, uh, as I've been hinting here, is uh, intimately linked in Open vSwitch to caching, which in turn is intimately linked to performance. So uh, the, uh, the ability of the flow translation uh, to generate uh, the, the best, caching advice, best caching advice it can uh, will often, in practice, uh, directly uh, determine the, the performance in a, a particular use case. And so it's, it's fairly uh, important to not just understand the, the surface of uh, what actions are output, but also uh, how and why uh, the, the caching advice uh, ends up as it is. Uh, flow translation is only used in the OVS software data paths. So that would be for, say, the kernel data path, um, the user space data path, etc. It's used for the, the data paths that are actually supported inside the OVS tree. There's a number of hardware manufacturers who have ported Open vSwitch to their hardware platforms, and uh, this, this process doesn't necessarily work there in the same way. Uh, it, it might work more uh, in, in a way more similar to the way that 
uh, OpenFlow was originally uh, envisioned as uh, populating the OpenFlow flows directly into hardware tables and then the, the hardware uh, executing that on a packet-by-packet -packet basis. Um, we're, we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, another, another point uh, is that um, usually the, the flow translation process doesn't really do anything per se. It doesn't have side effects. Um, so uh, when, a, when a packet comes in and passes through flow translation, we, we aren't actually doing anything to the packet. We are not uh, modifying the packet. Uh, we are not outputting the packet. Um, we are just generating instructions for how the data path can do that. So uh, usually when a packet comes in and it passes through flow translation, then uh, there's, there's two things that happen um, after that, after that uh, goes through. First, uh, that particular packet that was translated, uh, OVS will pass that to the data path and say, um, here's the stuff you should do to it, and the data path does that. And then secondly, it'll take that caching advice and it will set up a, a caching flow, a data path flow in the data path that says that uh, if packets that, that show up that, that look similar to this, that are in this class show up, then uh, perform uh, these, these actions on it. Uh, so uh, it, it's both a, uh, a directly what to do with this packet and uh, what to do with similar packets that show up later. Let's talk a bit about how the, the code actually uh, works and where it lives. So the, the core of the translation is in the OF proto directory. Uh, and it's in a file or files called OFProto DPIF xlate.c and .h. Uh, there's a few additional files with similar names uh, uh, around there uh, with uh, extra extensions, and those are essentially libraries used by the, the core translation code. The, the translation code, um, because it's uh, so important to uh, performance and uh, because uh, OVS keeps getting new OpenFlow features, uh, keeps growing, uh, and that, that core.c file is currently over 7,000 lines of code. Uh, it is starting to get a little unwieldy, uh, and probably the only reason that it's fairly reasonable to have it that big is that you can think of a lot of the file as being uh, basically a, a large switch statement that says, if, if you're doing this action, then do this thing. If you're doing that action, do that thing and so on. Uh, so uh, there, there are some unwieldy bits of it, but, but a lot of it is just specializing for uh, particular actions. So uh, how do you use this thing? Well, there's a few structures that are core to translation, and there's a few functions that are, are core to it, and I'll go through those. So if you have a packet, if you have a flow, do you have a question? No, okay. If you have a packet, if you have a flow that needs to be translated, uh, then uh, the first thing to do is uh, to uh, fill out an xlate in structure, the translation input. And uh, this is the, uh, the, the main uh, input uh, to the translation. And it has tons of fields, uh, but only a few of them are, are, are really core to the discussion. So I'll, I'll mention those. So first of all, there's the ones that are actually the input. And those are, first of all, the microflow. Uh, that is a, a, a flow struct that, that says what the field values are in the packet that's being uh, translated. Um, and that member is just called flow. Optionally, uh, there can be a, a packet buffer that gives the actual packet that's being translated. You might want to know why sometimes you might not actually have the packet being translated. And, and that's because occasionally there's a need to, uh, to figure out what to do with a, uh, a particular kind of packet, even if you don't have an example of that packet handy. And, and so for that reason, uh, the, the packet is optional and, and not always uh, passed in. And then uh, finally, there's a, a pointer to uh, an open vSwitch switch um, or, or bridge uh, uh, which is a, a pointer to uh, struct of proto DPIF. And uh, that, that's important because uh, what's in the switch is pretty crucial, crucial to translation. That's the, uh, the place that uh, the translation process gets the open flow tables, for example, and uh, other important aspects of the configuration. So that's the input. Uh, as I said, there's the microflow, optionally a packet, and then the OVS switch that's being uh, um, 
uh, that, that that's, the translation is going through. And then there's a few pointers to things that, uh, that receive the output of the translation. There's a, a pointer to a buffer that receives the ODP actions. Uh, so uh, that's the, um, the, probably the most important output. And, and that's so that the, uh, the client can know uh, what to do with that packet. And then there's a, a, couple, of, uh, um, a couple of other things uh, that really you can summarize as the caching advice that I was talking about. So uh, one of those is uh, another flow struct that uh, instead of giving actual field values, it's, it's a bit mask that says uh, of, the, of the bits in the flow that came in, which of those, uh, if, you're, if, you're going to cache, uh, if you're going to cache something, uh, actually have to be the same. You, you have to match on those to, uh, so that you can only apply it to packets that are the same as the input. Uh, let me give an example. So uh, if, the, if the translation process, as, as part of that, uh, the, uh, the, the actions that it outputs, if those depend on what the, um, the say, the source IP address was uh, in, the, in the input packet, then the, the wildcards would, would have the, uh, the bits that represent uh, the, the source IP address uh, marked. Um, and uh, in, in most cases, you'll have an entire field that, that's uh, either marked as being uh, necessary to match in the caching entry, um, or uh, the, the whole field will be zeros. Uh, there's, there's a few cases where uh, the translation process might only depend on certain bits in a field, and so uh, in that case, you might only have some bits in, say, that IP address uh, that are marked as being important for caching. Uh, so besides those wildcards, uh, there's a, a couple of uh, sort of more general purpose caching advice fields. Um, one of those is, uh, is called the slow path type. There are uh, some kinds of actions and, and some kinds of matches and so on uh, that the data paths um, just can't support at all. And I'll, I'll talk about those a, a little more later. Uh, but just keep in mind that, uh, that, that not everything can be cached. And so that, that field, <coughs> it, it, it indicates... Uh, it will indicate that it can't be cached, if, if so. So, okay. Uh, we've got the xlate in structure. Um, uh, we've also got a struct called the xlate out, the, the output, uh, which contains a lot of that caching advice. And then uh, once you've got your, uh, your input and your output uh, structs uh, set up, then uh, when you want to translate something, you hand it to a, a function called translate actions, xlate actions. And this is the, the, the core of the, the, the translation step. So there are tons of details in this function if you pull it up, uh, but a, a lot of them are really related to pretty uh, a special purpose corner case type things. Uh, it, it's a little sad that it's, it can be a little difficult to sort of, um, sort of spot the, the common path in this function, the really important path, uh, because it's obscured by uh, so many of these special cases. But I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, to point out the bits that, that matter the most. So um, in, in a normal case, uh, what this function will do is it takes this packet and its, and its microflow, and it looks that up in uh, OpenFlow table 0 uh, for the switch that you passed in. So uh, ordinarily, uh, this, this lookup will succeed, and it will find some OpenFlow flow. So an OpenFlow flow has uh, two, important, uh, uh, two important properties. It has the match, uh, which is uh, what, uh, we, uh, what we looked at to figure out that this was the best match, um, and a priority, which, uh, um, which, which feeds into that too. I guess make that three important characteristics. And then uh, now that we found it based on, the, uh, based on the match and the priority, then we look at the, the OpenFlow actions. So the OpenFlow actions for this, uh, for this flow that we found are what uh, determines the, the, the whole course of, of what happens next. Uh, it, it might have uh, a, a variety of different kinds of actions, and uh, what, uh, what it does depends entirely on, on what those are. So uh, the, once, uh, once Xlite Actions finds that, that flow in its actions, it passes it to a, uh, another function called the do Xlite Actions, uh, which is really just a for loop that iterates over all these actions and uh, a switch statement embedded in that that, that acts uh, depending on, on what type it is. Uh, so there, 
in, and if, if nothing else comes up, then it'll run through all those actions and it'll exit. Uh, quite commonly, controllers will set up uh, their, their flow tables so that some of these actions will actually uh, recurse into other flow tables. So uh, if you use a, a resubmit or go to table action, then all this stuff will recurse. So you might go from, from table zero to a lookup into table one and then do exlate actions on those. Um, and uh, depending on the controller, you can have uh, fairly sophisticated uh, sets of flow tables so that a, a packet might pass through uh, dozens uh, of, of flow tables. Uh, they can uh, go uh, counting up 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, they can skip over them. They can go, uh, they can go backward. Um, it, it's really just a, a matter of uh, what makes sense uh, to the, the controller writer. Let's talk a little bit about uh, once, once we're in this function to translate them, how uh, are individual types of actions uh, handled. And there, there are many different kinds of actions, but the most important ones all fall into a, a few different categories. So I'll, I'll try to be general about those. Uh, one of the important types of actions is ones that, that set a field. So they might uh, set like the IP source or destination. Uh, they, they might set ethernet fields. They might set uh, a TCP source destination. They might set um, ARP or network discovery, ICMP, IGMP, etc. So uh, most of these actions are handled in uh, what might seem like an unusual way. Most of them don't actually emit any uh, data path actions to the, the output. Uh, instead, what they do is they, they just take whatever you're assigning to the field and uh, copy that into the, the flow struct, uh, which is the, uh, what, what the, the, the struct that, uh, that uh, has all these uh, extracted fields in it. Uh, and there's a, a pretty good reason for that. A lot of controllers will uh, emit open flow tables where the, um, the, the actions that they, they do uh, often include sort of uh, redundant or useless uh, things that set fields. Uh, like, for example, um, it, it's fairly common if you're doing something that does uh, Ethernet uh, VLAN type switching uh, at the beginning of the pipeline uh, to to push on the, the VLAN uh, for an access port. If, if the packet came in on an access port that wasn't tagged, then to, to make the sort of the middle of your pipeline uh, uniform, uh, regardless of how the packet came in, uh, you, you make sure that the packet has the, the access port's VLAN. And then at the end of the pipeline, um, if it goes back out on an access port, then uh, you tend to pop off that VLAN before you actually output it. So uh, OVS could uh, emit the actions to, uh, to push on and then pop off the VLAN, but if those are the, uh, uh, the same VLAN that's being pushed and then popped off, then that would just be wasted. Um, and uh, that's, that's just one example of how uh, these, these sorts of things, uh, the, these set fields are often uh, just, just not useful. Uh, and, and so uh, what, what OVS does is it, it just sets them in the, uh, um, in the flow struct and then uh, defers the, um, the, the actual modification of the packet, uh, that is emitting the, uh, the action that would modify the packet until there, there's something that would, uh, uh, that, that would actually need it where the, uh, uh, the side effect would be visible. So the, the best example of that is an output action. If I push on a VLAN and then I do an output action, it's pretty obvious at that point that the VLAN actually needs to, to be there. So uh, when an output action comes along, uh, the, the first thing that the translation process does is it, it goes and it compares the, the flow struct um, against uh, a sort of a cached version of what it was uh, the last time uh, we, we did an output or, the, uh, or, or when the packet came in. So at that point, we would notice, for example, that there was an extra VLAN that needed to be pushed on um, and then uh, emit the action that does that and then uh, copy the, the flow struct into the, the cached version so that the Next time an output uh, comes along, we won't uh, uh, try to do that again. Talking about uh, an, an output action, so uh, other than uh, these set field actions, output is probably uh, one of the uh, most common actions that, that there is. And uh, it, it actually has uh, sort of several variants internally, and, and that's because there are, are several kinds of ports the packet can be output to. Uh, the, the most common kind of a port is what I think of as sort of a, a physical or virtual port where 
uh, the, the packet is being output uh, to something that looks like a, a pretty ordinary Ethernet device. So when that happens, uh, all the translation process does is um, emit an output uh, ODP action that says output to that particular port. Uh, the, the only real wrinkle there is that uh, OpenFlow port numbers and ODP port numbers uh, aren't necessarily the same. So the translation process also has to figure out the right output port number. Um, but that's a, a pretty common problem in the tree, and we have some, uh, some helpful uh, uh, functions for that. Another kind of a port that, uh, that comes up uh, quite a bit, uh, especially in network virtualization, is a tunnel port. So uh, OVS supports uh, tunnel ports being configured several different ways. Um, but, uh, and, and this has to, uh, to handle uh, all of them. So there, there's kind of a, um, you might say, an impedance mismatch between uh, the, the open flow idea of a tunnel port in OVS and the uh, ODP idea of a tunnel port. Uh, in ODP, there's, uh, there's a single port, a single ODP port, for all the tunnels of a given type. So, uh, for example, suppose you have a big pile of GRE tunnels or uh, VXLAN tunnels. So, uh, in ODP, there, there's only a single GRE port, uh, there's only a single VXLAN port, uh, even if uh, you're, you're actually sending to, uh, say, lots of uh, remote IP addresses, uh, maybe with, uh, with different tunnel keys. So uh, at this point, uh, what uh, OVS does is it emits uh, possibly several ODP actions that set uh, tunnel-related data. So uh, in, in ODP, there's, a, uh, there, there's sort of a, a metadata field that, that says uh, this is the tunnel destination IP, uh, this is uh, the, the, the tunnel key, et cetera. So it'll emit a string of those. Uh, that, uh, that say uh, where the uh, packet should be going. Uh, and then it'll emit a single output action that says, okay, send this to the, the GRE tunnel port, uh, for example. And then uh, th there's several other uh, types of uh, virtual ports, but uh, the, the other one that uh, comes up quite a bit is a, a patch port. So in OVS, a, a patch port is... Um, well, it, it's sort of analogous to uh, a Linux VE device. Uh, it's a sort of a double-ended port uh, where you can plug each end uh, into a, an OVS bridge. And those could either be the same bridge, if you like, uh, or those could be uh, different bridges. And uh, the, the way that, that patch port translation is handled is that it, uh, it actually ends up uh, recursively doing a, a flow translation of uh, this, this packet in uh, whatever the, the destination bridge is. Um, and uh, OVS treats this uh, as if it was a, a, a fairly, um, I guess, almost like uh, it was coming in on a, a physical Ethernet cable uh, in the sense that it, it throws away uh, most of the, the metadata fields that, that OVS has. Uh, OVS has, uh, it has registers, it has all these... Uh, uh, special metadata, it throw those, throws those away and uh, does, the, uh, does the translation in uh, whatever bridge and whatever port uh, the uh, patch port connects to. Uh, and then uh, once it returns from that, it restores all of that, uh, that metadata and, and continues the, uh, the translation uh, in the, the source bridge. So that's uh, um, an, an introduction to sort of the uh, the, the basics of translation. Uh, the other things that I'm planning to talk about uh, here are uh, how does this interact with caching? How do we generate the, um, the, the caching uh, advice that I mentioned at the beginning? Um, and then some of the tools. Uh, but if, if people have questions about uh, what, what I've covered already, then I'd be more than happy to take them now. So, so, ben, so, so ODP is like a generalization of like how the data path was supported, is it? Uh, so, ODP is, if you think of it as a slight generalization of what the Linux kernel data path supports, then that's, that's not so far wrong. Uh, we're more or less tied in ODP to support at least what the Linux kernel data path supports, but uh, w we have a few extensions uh, that add, say, features that the DPDK data path can support and, and a few other things. It, it, it's a slight abstraction and generalization. So, so we can say that uh, like all the OVS data path based support this ODP uh, format action. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, um, 
in, in some cases, we could probably make things more efficient if we didn't make everything go through ODP. Like um, in, in ODP, we uh, tend to uh, serialize and deserialize everything to Netlink, which is a good way to talk to the Linux kernel. It's not necessarily all that efficient for talking to DPDK because we could have a sort of a more intimate interface there. Uh, but, but thus far, we haven't done any real optimizations there. So an example of caching, so let's say a packet comes in that matches flows in table 0, 2, and 4, three flows. And then the vSwitch T code will try to push a mega flow into the, into the data path, which will be a combination of all the match fields that has been hit, uh, and uh, so and then the packet goes out on its way. Now, the second packet that comes with similar uh, uh, match fields will actually be now taken care of by the data path. So, why do we need a cache in the in the in the slow path for for this? Uh, we 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 don't have a cache in the slow path. You just described the cache. Okay, so so cache is something that that's that's what. It's there to push to the data path. Uh, right. I, I think I might have, uh, maybe I used some confusing terminology here. When I talk about these cache entries, I'm, I'm talking about, as you said, the, the, the mega flows that we, oh. that we push into the data path. The, the data path is, a, is the cache. Okay. Um, and and you, you did a, a great job of, of describing uh, how that works. Um, uh, and now I'll... Uh, now we'll talk a little bit about um, sort of the uh, how the, the origins and the rationale and, and so on of, of this this whole cache. Uh, yeah, I have a, uh, a quick question here. Well, two questions. Uh, two quick questions. One, you mentioned the uh, ODP port and the OpenFlow port are not necessarily the same, or are they ever the same, or they're just uh, is there like some tie the mapping lookup mechanism that yeah, let, let me uh, let me talk about that. So um, there, there's uh, there's two things to think about there. So uh, one, uh, the in, in some cases the OpenFlow uh, port and the ODP port are um, are not one to one. So uh, the tunnels are a pretty good example of that. If I define half a dozen GRE tunnels uh, using OVS VS kettle. Uh, probably with, with different remote IP addresses, uh, then uh, those all map in ODP uh, to a single tunnel, which is just basically the GRE tunnel. Um, they're, they're, in, in other cases, uh, there actually is no ODP port uh, for an OpenFlow port. And the best example that comes to mind for that is patch ports. Patch ports don't exist in the data path at all. They're, uh, they only happen... Uh, as they 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 are only exhibited through flow translation, and uh, they 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 don't uh, the, the kernel doesn't know anything about them. Uh, so th that's another example of how they aren't one to one. Uh, every bridge get their gets their own OF port in one to sixty five thousand range. Uh, so if you have sixty five thousand in one bridge and sixty five thousand in the other bridge, then ODP there will be overlap, so they have to be unique. Right. So, in addition to the ports not necessarily being one to one, and the ports not being the same, um, the the port numbers can be different. Uh, like in in OpenFlow, every every bridge has a port uh, numbered uh, sixty five thousand something that, that that's called the local port. Uh, but obviously, those can't all be mapped to uh, the the same uh, ODP port number because they're they're different ports. Uh, and in in general, they're they're sort of different namespaces. Uh, you can have um, uh, port OpenFlow ports in different bridges with the same value, and they'll have different values when they map to ODP. So uh, we're going to uh, jump into caching now. Um, uh, Ashish gave a, a pretty good uh, introduction to it. So uh, part of the output of the xlate actions function is this uh, this caching advice. And uh, so let, let's talk about uh, the, the sorts of, of advice it, it might give. So uh, one is that uh, some translations can't be cached at all, uh, and there's a, a few different reasons why that, that might be the case. So uh, in some cases, the, um, the output of the translation might include actions that the data path uh, doesn't support at all. Uh, there are some OpenFlow actions that we, where we've never defined 
uh, equivalent ODP actions. Uh, a good example is uh, actions that, that set fields in ARP and in uh, neighbor discovery. Uh, at the time that we introduced those, we decided that it probably wasn't valuable enough to introduce actions for those. And instead, when one of those actions comes along, uh, what, what happens is that uh, they, they essentially get executed in user space. Uh, user space will, uh, will take the packet and, and modify it uh, to set that field, and then it'll pass the, um, the modified packet to the data path to execute the rest of the actions. Uh, so user space can compensate uh, for those. Uh, in, in addition, uh, we've introduced more and more ODP actions over time, and you might have a data path with, uh, 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 with an implementation with a kernel module that's older than your, your user space. Uh, uh, for example, um, well, there, there are some fields that, that we've only, that the data path has only been taught to, to modify uh, as time has gone on. So in those cases, uh, what happens is that user space, when it starts up, it probes the data path to see what it supports. And if you try to use a, an action that doesn't support, then it falls back to implementing those in user space. Uh, that means that you don't lose features, although uh, you might lose some performance. Uh, another example of where the actions uh, can't be cached is that uh, there's a limit uh, in, uh, on, on what the, the data path supports for actions. Uh, the Linux kernel data path can only support about 64 kilobytes worth of actions. Uh, and so if that, uh, if that gets overflowed, then again, uh, user space will figure that out and it will uh, uh, it'll implement those actions in user space and, and not bother to, to try to set up anything in the kernel since that would fail anyway. Uh, and then uh, there, there's some special protocols that we uh, only implement in user space. And those are ones where we need to do a fair amount of work for each packet uh, received anyway. So that would be things like CFM, BFD, LACP, STP, uh, and LLDP. So uh, those, those are why actions might not be able to be uh, implemented in uh, the kernel or in the data path. Uh, but there are some matches that, that also can't be uh, implemented uh, in the kernel. So uh, for example, um, the, the kernel or the data path in general uh, doesn't necessarily know how to extract the, um, the IGMP type and code from IGMP messages. So if, if you get an IGMP message uh, and you're trying to match on it, well, uh, we just can't install a, a flow in the kernel, uh, a mega flow um, in the data path uh, that can distinguish those. And so uh, what happens instead is that uh, all of those IGMP messages uh, get sent to user space and user space processes them uh, by hand. So uh, if, if we ignore these cases where uh, the, the flow can't be cached at all uh, and has to be handled in user space, then the question is how do we uh, figure out what class of packets, uh, similar to the one that we're looking at, uh, what, what class of packets uh, can, can be handled in the megaflow. And uh, so I'll, I'll talk about uh, a summary of how that works. Um, the, the, the details here are, are really critical to performance. If you, uh, if you end up with a, a bad design here where uh, your, your megaflows, your caching flows, match on uh, more fields than actually need to be matched, then uh, you, you end up sending a lot more packets to user space uh, than necessary in some cases, and so performance suffers. Uh, so this is something that we've uh, fine-tuned a lot uh, over the years. Um, and uh, the, the details of this, uh, the, the algorithm that we came up with, uh, besides looking at the source code, uh, the best place uh, to look is at our uh, NSDI 2015 paper, uh, The Design and Implementation of Open vSwitch. Uh, some of the people in this room here uh, were on that paper. So uh, let's, uh, l let's talk about the, uh, the summary of how it works, though. So it, it's kind of a subtractive process. And what I mean is that at the beginning of translation, you, we, we start by assuming that every packet, uh, regardless of it, its type, its fields, etc., cetera, uh, can be cached. And that can actually be true. Like, uh, for example, uh, suppose that your, your flow table just has one flow in it that matches in every packet and sends it uh, to a particular port, or maybe it drops it. Well, in that case, yeah, you, you only need one megaflow in your kernel, 
and uh, that that mega flow, its its action would be to you know do whatever that uh, that that flow said, um, and then so we we start assuming that you can cache every packet, and then as we go through the process, uh, we sort of eliminate possibilities. Uh, we we subtract from it uh, by saying that the the mega flow has to match on particular fields. Uh, so, uh, uh, for example, uh, suppose that that one of the uh, the flows that your uh, that your packet matched on, uh, it, it matched on uh, the IP destination address being X. So uh, that means that uh, that when we set up a megaflow, a cache entry in the kernel, uh, that megaflow has to match on um, IP destination or yeah IP destination X as well, uh, because something that we did later on in that flow translation might have been de uh, depending on that. Um, and and that that is more or less the the principle that uh, the caching um, has to look at. That if in the flow translation process you looked at a field and you read it, and uh, what you did later in the flow translation depended on what you read, then uh, your megaflow has to match on uh, whatever it is that you read. But that principle, it, it's actually a little more, and it, it's a little less than that. Um, and, and so the example I gave is a little deceptive. When, when we found that, uh, that the packet matched on this flow uh, that, uh, that, that matched on IP destination X, well, uh, yeah, we, we, we more or less have to, uh, um, uh, to match on X. Uh, but uh, when we were looking for that flow, uh, when we were searching the classifier uh, to figure out what was the best match, uh, we might have had to look at other uh, flows and, and turn them down. And uh, whatever we read uh, to know that we had to turn them down, uh, we, we also have to match on that. Uh, so uh, suppose that this uh, a flow that matched an IP destination X uh, was a, um, it had a lower priority than uh, some other flow uh, that matched on uh, IP source Y. Well, um, we, we, we have to include that IP source Y uh, in the in the megaflow as well, and uh, and that's uh, that's because if if we just match an IP dust X, and another packet comes in with IP dust X, but it has IP source Y, then uh, then that megaflow would incorrectly match the the, the wrong flow. Our our cache would be wrong. Uh, so uh, in addition uh, to looking at the actual flows that we match um, and including those in the megaflow. Uh, we also have to uh, match on anything that we, we looked at and rejected. Uh, and uh, that's uh, one of the, uh, the, the principles that uh, be behind our, our, our classifier um, that, that's uh, covered in that paper. Um, so that, that's why we need to match on more than what I was talking about at the beginning. But uh, there are actually some, uh, some clever ways that we can avoid uh, matching on, on everything. And uh, that, that comes down to um, how, how much did we actually uh, how much did we actually have to uh, to look at uh, to disqualify a flow? So um, think think about this this IP source Y that I was talking about that that did not match the IP source for a packet, um, and so so we looked at it uh, we looked at the IP source to disqualify that flow, so we had to include it in the megaflow. Well, um, if uh, we we can take a closer look at that difference. So uh, suppose that um, suppose that uh, if you compare uh, IP IP source Y uh, against the actual IP source in our packet, there's going to be a certain number of bits that differ, since we know that they differ uh, overall. Uh, we can pick any one of those bits that differ, and uh, our our megaflow only has to match on one of those bits because uh, if we know that, that one of those bits differ then it's enough to, uh, to disqualify the entire flow. And so our, our classifier uh, tries to be uh, clever about picking out not uh, all the flow, uh, excuse me, not all the fields that, uh, that, that uh, packets, uh, that, that flows match on, uh, that, that it bypasses, but only on a, a minimal number of those bits. And uh, again, the, the paper uh, talks about that in a lot more detail. Um, it, it's also there in the code. And uh, although there's there's some details, um, it's it's probably uh, not all that really all really that complicated in the end. 
So that's what I was planning to, uh, um, to say uh, uh, about caching. Um, it's a complicated topic. I could probably spend a lot more time on it. Uh, but uh, if, if people have questions now, then I'd be more than happy to take them. And then I'll say a few words about tools after that. Yeah, I noticed that in XLED input, there's something called XCache. And uh, it seems related with tunnel. I'm not sure what its usage. Yeah, um, so there's this uh, translation cache layer uh, that caches not just the output actions, but some of the side effects that, uh, that happen uh, during a, a, a translation of a flow. So there, there can be certain side effects uh, that, that a flow translation itself causes, as, as opposed to um, uh, things that, that get put into like the set of output actions and that, that something else uh, does later. Uh, the best example of, of those side effects is probably the learn action. So the, the learn action, it inserts a flow into the open flow tables. Um, so in other words, uh, a flow is, is actually sort of recursively uh, modifying the, the set of flows. Uh, and uh, the, the reason that we can record those is that uh, periodically uh, OVS has to uh, recheck uh, that the translations it's done are still valid. Uh, and uh, if a certain set of circumstances are met, uh, then uh, we can use that, that translation cache instead of having to rerun everything through the en entire set of uh, uh, translation steps. Um, it's it's a sort of a second-order optimization uh, that uh, makes uh, the, the flow cache itself faster. Um, it, it's something that only got uh, introduced in the, the last uh, couple of years. Um, and I, I, I don't recall um, all the analysis behind it, but it, it's definitely a performance-related optimization. So I'm very quickly going to talk about uh, some of the tools that OpenVSwitch offers uh, related to uh, flow translation. So uh, the, the biggest and most important of these is something called OF Proto Trace. Uh, this is a, a functionality uh, in, uh, that is part of... Uh, uh, open vSwitch that you access uh, through a sort of an IPC kind of thing. Uh, if, if you run the OVS app kittle program, uh, it, it sends a, a command, a runtime command, to a running open vSwitch process. And uh, the OF proto trace command is one of them that you can send. So uh, what it takes as arguments is um, the, the name of an OVS switch and then um, a flow. So the, the flow would be things like the uh, packet comes in on a particular port, uh, the packet is perhaps IP, um, and here's like the L2, L3, L4 um, addresses that, that are in the packet. So uh, when, you, uh, when you send this command to open vSwitch, what it does is it, it, runs a, it runs a packet that looks like the one that you said through a simulated translation process, and it, it takes notes on the whole thing. Uh, and then it, it, it spits uh, the, these notes back at you. So it will tell you that uh, if you had a packet like that, then it would match this particular flow in table zero and then list off the actions that that would execute. Um, if any of those actions uh, would recurse into other tables, like table one, table two, then it will list off what would happen there. <coughs> um, it will uh, tell you things like uh, um, the packet eventually got uh, output to this port, um, it, will, it will tell you uh, a lot of the important things related to caching. So uh, you can use OF Proto Trace as a way to uh, predict uh, how effectively Open vSwitch can, can cache the particular flow table uh, that you're using uh, with, uh, with particular traffic. It's, uh, I think, more than anything else, it's a great debugging tool. If you have any idea, um, if you need some idea of, of what's happening when traffic passes through Open vSwitch, then uh, you can you can run a trace and it'll tell you uh, exactly uh, what would happen. It it tries to give some uh, decent uh, sort of uh, human readable rationale on why things uh, why things happen. Uh, it can tell you things about why a, a particular packet uh, cannot be cached or cannot or has to be uh, handled in user space. 
Um, and uh, it, it's one of my favorite tools. It, it's also really good for, uh, beyond troubleshooting, uh, testing and, and predicting how things will work. We use OF Prototrace of, uh, a, a fair bit uh, in the uh, OVS unit tests uh, because it's, it's easier than uh, actually sort of generating packets and running them end-to-end -end through the system, but it produces uh, almost the same results. So uh, you can do trace from a, a packet that you made up from whole cloth uh, that you're just inventing. Uh, but one of the most useful ways you can use it uh, when you're trying to debug something in production is along with the ovsdpkittl command. So the ovsdpkittl command talks to an open flow, or it talks to an open vSwitch data path. So, uh, for example, the Linux kernel, and the the command that uh, that you give it in this case, if you want to uh, find out what's going on, is you tell it ovsdpkittl dump flows, and then it will find the kernel data path. Uh, and it will dump out all of the mega flows, all the cache entries that OpenVSwitch has set up. Uh, and this is a, a pretty good way to get an idea of the traffic flowing through the system. But if, in particular, you have a question about um, why uh, one of these flows has the actions that it does, if you look at it and say, well, that doesn't make sense, why is it doing that? Then you can take part of the OVSDP Kittle output, one of the flows, one of the mega flows, you can cut and paste that back into OF Proto Trace. And uh, normally, uh, as long as there isn't uh, some kind of a race condition uh, between uh, the time that you, uh, that you dumped it and the time that you uh, ran the trace, normally uh, OF Proto Trace will give you, uh, uh, it'll walk you step, through, step by step through uh, what, what happened and a kind of rationale on why the packet is handled that way. Uh, so that's how you do it if you've got the kernel data path. If you've got other data paths, then uh, OVS AppKittl has, um, has something that's a lot like dump flows itself. So you can get that, that same functionality with, uh, with DPDK or the user space data path as well. You just have to run a slightly different command. That's the, the end of my notes on flow translation, um, and I'm, I'm happy to take uh, anybody's questions. Regarding the OF Proto Trace, uh, does it does it have any uh, code path common with the actual packet or it runs, just calls the function? Uh, so all of Prototrace and Flow Translation, they, they follow almost the same path. Um, there's very little difference. The, the differences all uh, relate to side effects. Like if you do all of Prototrace then, and it hits an output action, it isn't actually going to output it. Um, so, it, so it, it, most in most cases, it, it it leaves out those side effects. Okay, and does it does it uh, actually insert a mega flow or? Oh uh, no, it, it it doesn't it doesn't actually affect the state of the system okay. in most ways. Okay. I there there might be a few ways where it has uh, side effects. Like I don't remember what happens if it hits a learn action. I don't I don't remember whether the learn action would actually be executed <coughs> or not. Uh, okay, so. You mentioned earlier that the number of actions, uh, the size of the actions that you can uh, push down to the kernel data path is limited to 64K. Is that because of the size of the network message? Right. So if we were to implement some system that would just repeatedly send four actions down, collate them, uh, you know, conjugate them, whatever you're talking about, what we talked about doing there, uh, then... Uh, would there be any uh, reason why a user space would be able to uh, also then use more actions? Uh, if, if we had something that allowed more actions to be tra transmitted to the kernel, yeah, user space could use that. But it, it's very much a corner case that hardly ever comes up. Um, uh, the the case the case I know of where it has come up is in a network virtualization system where uh, we had a, a logical network that spanned many hypervisors um, and uh, there was some packet that was being flooded to uh, all of the uh, VMs in the logical network. And so what, what happens there is you get many, many output actions uh, and, and each of those output actions is going to some tunnel and there's tons of me tunnel metadata that have to be set up. So you might get, a, a, say, a few hundred bytes of, uh, of actions uh, per uh, per hypervisor, and if you have many hypervisors, it adds up after a while. Ah, okay. But the, so it's a corner case. It's, yeah. Right, this, this is not something that would be high on our list of quantities. No, I, I've never run into a case like that where, where it was performance sensitive. Uh, actually, 
um, in that case, it made us uh, uh, try to consider other ways to uh, to, to implement uh, broadcast. Um, so it, yeah, they're they're more like something to flag as maybe something's wrong with your controller. Uh, to, in, in all the cases I've seen. There's a structure called a fortunate state in the, in, the, uh, in the chest state. Can you talk a little bit about use case over there? Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, frozen state. So, uh, there are some cases in translation where we can't handle the whole translation in one go. Um, and so, uh, we need to be able to uh, sort of take stock of where we are in translation. Uh, save that up into uh, an encapsulated bit of data, um, and then uh, maybe we need to recirculate. Maybe, there, maybe there's some reason that the data path has to hit a packet twice. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe the controller has used a special action that says, um, uh, freeze the state at this point um, and encapsulate it all up and send it to me and let me execute it, or let, let me examine it, uh, and then send it back to you if I'm, when I'm done. Um, and, and so a frozen state is, is just our way of sort of taking the state of translation, zipping it up into a neat, uh, um, neat little bundle, um, and uh, making it available for, for use from, to start from later again. It's one of those nasty special cases in XLate Actions that I, uh, I didn't include in my summary because it, it's, uh, it's got to be there and, it, and it's important enough, but it's not core to the process. This stuff is complicated. There are no dumb questions. Don't don't worry about uh, um, being uh, uh, criticized for for asking things that are, are too simple. It's all fine. All right. Thanks to everyone for coming. OBS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org, or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.